thank you for giving to the Lord this morning. Amen. So I trust you're all having a blessed Christmas season. We're in the midst of it. And um, I know it's a busy, busy time, but we want to make sure we stay focused as we ought to, right? Right? And um, I'm hoping and praying that many of you are involved with our Advent Bible reading plan, just another way for us to stay focused on what Christmas is all about. I love the title, Christmas is about Jesus. Amen? And so... um, so please participate. You should be getting emails, and tomorrow morning another video will go out. Um, just a little encouragement there. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Last week we began a series of messages entitled Christmas According to Matthew. That's our, our title. You can bring that up, Nancy. There we go. Thank you. And so um, so Christmas According to Matthew. And last week we looked at a twisted family tree. And today, we're, our message is entitled, A Complicated Birth. As we're in Matthew chapter 1, we're looking at verses 18 through 25. And so, you can follow along as I read it this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man or being a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he, shall, he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. So, Father, we do thank you this morning for your word and pray that you would use it to speak to us, to teach us what you would have us to understand today. Give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to say to us this morning and hearts ready to receive. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so this month we're looking at Christmas according to Matthew, as I said last week, almost pretending that we had never received Luke's account because that was the case for the first readers of Matthew's gospel. They didn't have both. They just had Matthew. And so it's almost as if this morning I want it to be for us. It's almost as if that we had never heard of the the shepherds or the angels in the sky or even the manger in Bethlehem. But our goal is to understand the significance of the coming of Jesus into our world as a baby. That is the incarnation from Matthew's perspective and according to Matthew's story. For you see, we want to feel the full impact of what Matthew was trying to get across to his first readers and to us by the way he wrote his accounting of Jesus' birth. We want to make sure that we don't miss the point. We want to make sure we don't miss the point. As I said last week, um, 
Matthew wanted his readers, who were mostly Jewish followers of Jesus, and, and, and at that time, they were being thrown out of their synagogues. They were being perse uh, persecuted by their fellow Jews. But he wanted them to be assured that truly this one called Jesus of Nazareth was and is the Messiah of the Jews and the Savior of the world. And again, as we saw last week, he wanted to make it clear that Jesus was the one to fulfill God's promise to Abraham that from his seed, the nations of the world would be blessed. And God's promise to David that, that, that from his descendants would come an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting throne. And as we saw, Matthew begins with Jesus' twisted family tree. That is the genealogy of Jesus that shows how in spite of all the twists and turns of history, how God worked throughout the generations to bring about his plan for a Messiah. Let me just say, I got a little feedback last week, and I just want to say that last week's message was not meant to pick on the women. Okay, we talk about the four women, right? We're not picking on the women, but we were highlighting what Matthew highlighted for us. There was a reason he highlighted those four women. You see, back in Genesis 3, a promise was made that from a woman would come the Messiah. And then we find in this genealogy, which normally when a genealogy was written, the women would not be talked about at all. But here are four women, as we said last week, with a Gentile connection. But women whom God redeemed, God, you remember, he turned around their lives and he used them. He used them. And yes, there were men in, in Jesus' line who were good and men in Jesus' line who were bad. But he used these four women to bring forth the Messiah. And Matthew shows us now as we move on how through Joseph, Jesus was part of both Abraham's, and he, he ends the genealogy with Joseph there, and, but how through Joseph, Jesus was part of both Abraham's and David's lineage. After all, in biblical days, one's lineage was traced back through the father, not the mother. I know, I know more contemporary Jews, they'll say to me, oh, your mother was a Jew, so you're Jewish. But guess what? They don't count my kids as a Jew because their mom's not Jewish. But that's not the way it was in biblical days. It was always counted through the line of the father and not the mother. And so Matthew gives us the line coming up through Joseph. And actually, if you go to Luke's gospel, he does the same. And so as we continue to read here, we find the account of Jesus' birth as given by Matthew is for the most part told from the perspective of Joseph. Because you can notice that there's no background given on Mary. Now, that doesn't mean Mary is ignored. But here's what we see back in verse 116, chapter one, verse 16, we find that Mary is now the fifth woman in the genealogy. And she stands out in contrast to all the other women. No Gentile connection. And yeah, she had a little bit of a reputation, but that was only because of a misunderstanding. So she's introduced there as the fifth woman. And Matthew doesn't write, as he does elsewhere of, in the genealogy, of Joseph, the father of Jesus, by Mary. He doesn't write it that way. I mean, earlier on, he writes, for instance, 
and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Ruth, and Boaz, the father of Obed, you know, and, and, and so forth. He doesn't write it that way. But instead, Joseph is called the husband of Mary. That stands out. That sounds like kind of backwards. But it gives Mary a place of prominence and immediately makes a point. And he goes on to speak of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. As Matthew makes it clear that Jesus came from Mary, but not from Joseph, that he had, we could say, Mary's DNA, but not Joseph's DNA. And we find right here, Genesis 3.15 is being fulfilled. There were other women who came into the line, but it was through Mary that Genesis 3.15, the promise that Messiah would come through a woman, is being fulfilled right here. And Matthew makes that clear in verse 116. And then we come to our reading today, and verse 18 says this, now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place this way. And what we read in this short account, and it is short, especially compared to Luke's gospel, what we read is a pretty complicated story. Matthew shows us that the birth of Jesus was a complicated birth, one filled with all kinds of twists and turns, and yet one that fulfilled the purposes of God and the plan of God to send to this earth the promised Messiah and the Savior of mankind. And so he begins in verses 18 and 19, he begins with Joseph's dilemma and what a dilemma it was, huh? For we're told that Joseph and Mary, they are, they're betrothed. It's not a word we use these days, right? We don't even do betrothals. But it means that they were in that year of preparation before consummating their marriage. They were as good as married, but they didn't finalize it. And so it's, it's, we would say, oh, it's like an engagement. No, it's more than an engagement, but not quite a marriage. And during that time, Mary is found to be with child, or Mary was pregnant, found to be pregnant. And Joseph knew that he was not the father. I mean, he knew that for sure. Now, those of us reading the gospel were told that the child in Mary's womb was from the Holy Spirit, right? That the child there was an act of God, and that also agrees with Luke's gospel. But neither Joseph nor the people around them knew that. They didn't know that. And, and Right? And this morning, we could ask a lot of questions. Well, how far along was Mary? Right? Right? Was she showing? How did Joseph find out? And lots and lots of questions. Right? Have you ever thought of those kind of questions? But we're not given any of the answers. Just that eventually Joseph found out. And now he needs to figure out what to do because he finds himself in the midst of a great dilemma. And Joseph knew what most men would do take revenge on her and her family, drag her in front of the, the whole community, lay out her sin for everyone to see. I'm sure if he had asked the, pin, the opinion of his brothers or his friends, that's the kind of advice he would have gotten. But Joseph apparently didn't do things the way most men do them. For he wasn't a man of anger. He wasn't a man of revenge. He was, the Bible says, Matthew writes, a righteous man. That is, he was a man who wanted to do everything right before God. And so he wasn't out to get back at anyone, not even the woman who seemingly trespassed their relationship and destroyed, destroyed their future. And so Joseph 
right? We read here, he decided in his heart that the best thing to do was to break their relationship quietly, possibly allowing her to slip away, to do whatever she needed to do to kind of make it through life. He didn't need to bring charges and get the whole community involved. No need for revenge, just a quiet divorce would suffice. But listen, this must have been a terrible time for Joseph, don't you think? I mean, just a terrible time who had no idea of what was taking place. It was a terrible dilemma. He didn't want to destroy Mary, but he couldn't marry her. So he made up his mind he was going to divorce her quietly. That is until the next two verses we read of God's intervention. Isn't it amazing the way sometimes God intervenes in our lives, right? Right? He kind of steps in. We think we know what we need to do, and he kind of steps in. And just as Joseph was about to do what seemed right to him, God intervenes, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And apparently Joseph realized that this dream was not due to some bad pizza, wasn't due to the stress of the whole situation and so forth. Rather, this was God speaking to him as if it was the middle of the day. This was more than just an ordinary dream. This was God sending his messenger with a divine message specifically for him, a message to help him with his dilemma. And notice three things that the angel makes very clear to Joseph. One, Joseph was to take Mary as his wife, not, be, not because, excuse me, he was to take Mary as his wife. He was to go ahead with the marriage, not to follow his instinct. Go ahead, Joseph, you need to marry that woman. And secondly, the angel says, and listen, the child that she's carrying is from the Holy Spirit, not because Mary has been unfaithful. There's no way that Joseph could have known that except for the, the Lord revealing it to him. And that he, Joseph, was to name the child Jesus or Yeshua, the Lord saves. After all, listen, it was the father's prerogative to name the child. It was the father's duty to name the child. And so think of it this morning. The name was being given by Jesus' heavenly father, but being pronounced on him by the one who would serve as his earthly father. And in a sense, by naming the child, Joseph was taking that baby as his own. I don't think we think about that. But it was a really big deal that Joseph would be the one naming the baby. And this was heavy stuff for Joseph to swallow and digest, and he must have woken up in the morning with all kinds of questions about his dream, about the angel's words, about the whole thought that Mary could be pregnant by means of the Holy Spirit. After all, who ever heard of these things? I mean, in the Old Testament, we read there, there's, there's, it's, it's, there's a share, we, we have there our share of miraculous conceptions, but there's always a man involved, an earthly father. This, on the other hand, was completely different. And if Joseph was to believe the angel, that meant believing in a miracle far beyond what, what God did for Abraham and Sarah or H Hannah and her husband, all that they had experienced. This was on a whole different level. This was on a whole different plane. Would Joseph believe the angel's words? Could he believe? What would he do? 
And at this point, if you're reading the story for the first time, you're sitting on the edge of your seat, and you want the answer. What is Joseph going to do? Is he going to obey the angel, or is he going to follow his instincts? Is he going to do what's humanly reasonable? What's he going to do? And Matthew could have gone right to verse 24, and it would, read, would have read very well, where he would, where we go from verse 21. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And skip to verse 24. And when Joseph woke up, the story would have read very well. But Matthew inserts a prophecy fulfilled. A prophecy being fulfilled. And he inserts in verses 22 and 23 Isaiah's prophecy regarding a virgin giving birth. It's as if Matthew interrupts the flow of the story, but this is really important to Matthew's point, and we cannot miss it. For as I've mentioned throughout his gospel, Matthew quotes the Old Testament prophets again and again to show how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, to show that Jesus was truly the promised Messiah. And so he quotes here Isaiah 7.14, and Pastor Guy and I didn't talk about it. I don't know, he may have picked up on it somewhere, right? That, but, but he read at the beginning of the service Isaiah 7.14. And there we have the prophecy and he, it's before us here in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And its immediate context comes from a time when a, when a great enemy was about to come against King Ahaz and his nation Judah. And God made a promise at that time to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, a promise of his enemy's defeat. But here's the thing. Ahaz was no man of faith. He was no man of faith. And so God, through Isaiah, says he was going to give a sign to Ahaz of the truth of the promise. That a young woman, most likely one within his household, one who at the time of the prophecy was yet a virgin, would conceive and give birth to a son. And of course, that would have meant that she would have had to first get married. And that she would give birth to a child who would be named Emmanuel, God with us. And it was common Right, to give names to children based on situations at hand and even prophetic names. And the people of God at that time needed to know that God was with them. They were facing a great enemy. Have you ever been in a really tough situation and you need to know that God is with you, right? Come on, church, right? right? We need to know God is with us. And the point was that the birth and life of that child at that time would signify to Ahaz and to his people the truth of God's promise that God was with them and that he was going to give them a great victory. A couple notes here about this. That is, again, when we read these words first given by Isaiah, they had a contemporary meaning for Ahaz and his people. A second thing we need to understand, because people will bring it up, is that in Hebrew, the word is the word alma which is not the technical word for a virgin. And it's best translated as an old English word, and that word is maiden, a maiden. We don't talk about maidens, right, too often. But a maiden is a mature young woman who's not yet married and thus would be assumed to be a virgin. 
And so, you know, Isaiah's prophecy says, listen, there's a maiden, there's an Alma in your household, Ahab. And she is right now a virgin that will be expected, and she's going to give birth to a son. And so, again, the prophecy had to do with something happening at that time, something that would happen in the near future, and that child's birth will be a sign of God's work, his intervention, and his presence with his people, that God was still with them, that, that God was Emmanuel. But Matthew understood that this word of prophecy, like many of the Old Testament prophecies, had not only a contemporary application for Isaiah's day and Ahaz's day, but one that was farther into the future, a fulfillment that would be found in the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. And in fact, when Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14, he's writing in the Greek, and he uses in the Greek not a general word for maiden or something like that, but he uses the technical Greek word for virgin so that there's no confusion. And so he says, a virgin shall conceive. And Matthew's point is clear that although there was this contemporary application for Isaiah's day, there was also an application that took place through the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. For whereas the first son to be born would be born of a maiden, Jesus was born of a virgin, that is, a young woman who conceived before she was married and before she had any sexual relations with a man. And thus Jesus' birth, listen church, Jesus' birth was truly a sign that God is with us. And that although Jesus was never called by the name Emmanuel, nobody came to him and said, oh, hi, Emmanuel. Nobody did that to him. Yet his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection are a sign and have been a sign to all of mankind that God has not forgotten us, nor left us in our sin, nor left us facing an enemy that was out to defeat us. God would not leave us under the weight of our sin or abandon us in a world filled with darkness and sin. But God has been very much involved in a plan to rescue us and to save us from our sin. And through the birth of this child, child, Jesus, Jesus being conceived in a virgin, God was coming very, very near. God was coming. He's Emmanuel. And Matthew makes this so clear. And yet sometimes we read it over and we read it so fast. We miss the point. We get to verses 24 and 25, we read of Joseph's obedience, because now Matthew continues the story. Joseph took Mary to be his wife, in spite of great cost to his own reputation, in spite of the fact that he was most likely considered the town fool, or seemingly admitting that the child was his own. Joseph does what the angel says, he takes Mary to be his wife. But notice, again, we're specifically told that he did not consummate his marriage with Mary until after the birth of Jesus. We're specifically told that. He says it again. It's like the third time he's making the point. He makes it clear that at the time of conception and birth, Mary was truly a virgin. And then we read that Joseph then names the baby Jesus just as the angel told him to. Joseph named him. 
And so Joseph rises to the occasion. He does all that God asked him to do in spite of any personal cause, in spite of the fact that there was much that he did not and could not understand, in spite of how complicated it had all become. And for sure, Joseph's life had been turned upside down, but apparently in faith, believing the angel's words, Joseph was willing to obey. Can I just say, what a great example Joseph is for us, right? I mean, I mean, we have to ask the question, would we have done like Joseph did? Think of the cost. Think of the, the unanswered questions, the stuff he couldn't understand. Would we have obeyed God under such circumstances? Well, there's just a couple of takeaways for us, some lessons that Matthew wants us to learn this morning. And the first is this. We have to believe it, that Jesus was truly born of a virgin, which means he's fully God, he was fully man. See, the doctrine of the virgin birth didn't come about by means of some theological discourse later on in history or some committee meeting behind closed doors. Rather, this doctrine comes right out of Matthew's gospel, wherein it is made extremely clear that Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. And there can be theologians and authors and others who want to say otherwise, but Matthew's point, and even in Jesus' day, even in Joseph's day, there were people who wanted to say otherwise, but Matthew says, nope, Jesus was born of a virgin. The way he wrote verse 116, the word he uses in quoting Isaiah's prophecy, the fact that he notes that Joseph and Mary did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus' birth. It was all Matthew's way of making it very, very clear Jesus was born of a virgin. And those who say otherwise must find ways to work around the scriptures or disbelieve the scriptures completely. All of this points to the fact that Jesus was no ordinary man. He was not just another in a long line of prophets or religious teachers. He was not just another man who knew how to gain a following or who started a movement. Rather, Jesus' supernatural birth reveals that from the start, Jesus was divinity wrapped in humanity, 100% God, 100% human, not like in Greek mythology where there's some demigod who's half God and half human, but 100% of each. And thus Jesus was the perfect one to fulfill the meaning of his name. You call his name Jesus, the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sin. But here's the thing. I'm sure that there were many, many in his day, including Joseph, who would have been glad to have heard that this baby to be born, he will save his people from Rome. Hallelujah. Right? He will save his people from political and religious oppression and so forth. But the angel said he would save his people from their sin. And that's a tremendous statement, an even greater statement. After all, what what would political or religious salvation and freedom mean if one's sin was still counted against them and they entered into eternity lost, forever separated from God, under the judgment of God? As Jesus said later on, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? 
But here's the thing, church. Sometimes, like the people of Jesus' day, we still get it all mixed up, don't we? But Matthew makes it clear that Jesus didn't come, first of all, for political or religious freedom. He didn't come for economic prosperity or physical health. He didn't come that we might, first of all, have, as the movie says, a wonderful life. I love that movie, yeah. He didn't come that our lives would be filled with all kinds of material blessings and all kinds of prosperity. He came to save us from our sin. And he did that by not just being a baby, not just being born as a baby, but you know where, that, where the story goes, eventually giving his life on a cross so that he fulfills not only Isaiah 7:14, but he fulfills, even as we saw this past Wednesday night, Isaiah 53, where Isaiah writes, but he, Messiah, was pierced for our, tra- our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. He goes on to say, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of, of, of us all. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Luciana, if you come, please. Thank you. You see, he was fulfilling the prophecy of not only Isaiah 7, 14, but of Isaiah 53. As the speaker, the teacher that we're following on Wednesday night said, the innocent paid the price for the guilty. And guess what? We were the guilty. We were the guilty. And so in his accounting of the birth of Jesus, Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus is, he was, he is the long-awaited Messiah, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy of a virgin birth, but also notes that Jesus didn't come to save us from all the stuff of this world. He came to save us from our sin, and thus fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy for one who would pay the price for our sin. And so the question is just, it's really simple this morning. The application is just really simple. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, as Savior? Because you see, Matthew, even through the story of Christmas, is calling us to put our faith in Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as the one who was sent, sent from God to save us from our sin. And thus, I would just say to us this morning, those here in this house, those maybe online this morning, if you've not yet done so, if you've not yet taken a step of faith to say, Jesus, I put my faith in who you are, the one who came to save me of my sin, then today is your opportunity to do so, to respond to Jesus in faith and have your sin forgiven, to be set free from your sin to receive the new life that he that he offers and the hope that is ours the hope of eternity that comes through jesus christ our savior if you've not yet taken that step of faith today i challenge you i I invite you that before the close of this service you pray and say jesus jesus i give my life to you i believe you are the son of god born of a virgin 
who lived a perfect life here and gave yourself on the cross to pay for my sin and then rose again from the grave, living that you are so that you could still be Emmanuel at work in my life and in our world. If you take that step this morning, you're going to sense Jesus stepping into your life by means of his Holy Spirit, and he will do for you what you can never do for yourself. And listen, if you've already taken that step, you know what Matthew is calling you, he's calling us this morning to hold on to our faith, to not give up on our faith. You remember he was writing to, to, to his fellow Jews who had said they, they believed in Jesus, but they were being greatly persecuted. They were being thrown out of their synagogues, and they had all kinds of stuff coming against them. And some of them were probably questioning whether or not it was worth following Jesus. Maybe just throw in the towel and go back to the way things were because it was a lot easier. But Matthew says, listen, hold on to your faith. Don't give up on your faith. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in our world, no matter how disappointing life might become, no matter what others might say or do, keep on believing in Jesus. Keep on believing in Jesus. He's Messiah. He's Lord. He's the one who can save you. He's the one who can set you free from your sin. Listen, things in your life might crumble at times. Things might not get better in our world. But if you have Jesus, you have hope because you know he's going to bring you victory in the world to come, in the days to come. He has, he has a future for you that you can never gain for yourself. Hold on to Jesus. Come on, church. Hold on to Jesus. This Christmas season, let's trust Him with our lives. Let's trust Him for our salvation as never before. Let's hold on to our faith for truly this is the one who was born of a virgin. This is the one who saves, and this is the one who is yet Emmanuel. God who is with us. Hallelujah. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Worship team, would you come? And right now, wherever you are, if you've not yet given your life to faith, you've not given your life to God through faith in His Son, Jesus, I invite you to do that right now. If you're in, your, in this room here, sitting in a pew, you're online with us. If that's you today, you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know today I need to give my life to following Jesus. I need him in my life. I need him to save me of my sin. I need him to forgive me. I need the hope that he gives, the new life that he gives. Come on, if that's you right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. But if that's you, you say, Pastor, pray for me. We just lift a hand quickly. We're not going to embarrass you or anything. I just want to be able to pray for you. Is there anyone here? Maybe you're online this morning with us and you can just kind of chat in or even in the description, there's a link to our connection card. You can just mark in there. You, today you want to give your life to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Just reach out to him right now. When you say you're a believer in Jesus, won't you just pray a prayer of commitment saying, God, today... Jesus, today I commit my life to you anew. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens in my world, but today I just, I just affirm my faith in you, my trust in you. 
that even when things turn in my life and maybe they're not everything I want them to be, but Jesus, I'm going to trust you because you are Messiah. You are Lord. You are my Savior. And you are able to do for me what no one else can do. You are yet Emmanuel. You are the one who brings the presence of God into my life. Father, you see your people right now. You see our hearts. You see those who are reaching out to you, some for the very first time, some just committing their lives anew to you. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would come and you would touch them. Jesus, that you reach down into their lives, that old things would pass away, all things would become new. Lord, that you would build in into us today a strength and a fortitude that would say no matter what happens in my life, no matter what happens in my world, I will trust Jesus. I will believe in Jesus, the one born of a virgin, the one who lived a sinless life, the one who died on Calvary's tree to pay the price for my sin, the one who three days later rose from the grave. I will live for Jesus. I will keep my trust and my faith in the one who is the Savior of my soul. And we thank you for that this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you came. We thank you that you came. Born of a virgin. 100% God, 100% man. The perfect sacrifice for our sin. And we look to you today as Messiah, as Lord, as Savior. And we worship you with all that's in us. Come on, church, would you stand together? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Just thank Him today. Come on, just thank Him this morning. Just thank Him this morning. We're going to sing this song as our worship. If you're here this morning and you maybe need someone to pray with you, you can come to this altar. There are those who will, who will pray with you today. But just lift your heart to the Lord. Just lift your heart to the Lord.